It's Thursday. It's April 2nd. It's Monster Kid Radio opening up with the song War of the Cellulites from the band King Charles's Head. You can find them over at kingcharlesshead.bandcamp.com. It's on their album, What Sound? It appears on this episode with their permission. Welcome to the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here because I've got Dwight Kemper on the show. Now, a couple of days ago, we had Dwight on the show for the first time. Talked a little bit about his background, why he's a monster kid, why he loves monster movies, his books, his various creative projects. Well, this time around, we're going to kick off our conversation with Dwight by talking about his involvement in the upcoming movie, Tales of Dracula. Now, I had the Tales of Dracula creative team on the show in the past, back in episode 167, and episode 171 in January. We were joined by Joe DeMiro, Tom Rice, and Mike Rudolph to talk about their movie. Well, Dwight ended up being involved in the project as well as a performer, as an actor, and as a writer. So we're going to talk a little bit about his involvement with Tales of Dracula, as well as a few other things here and there. We're probably going to go back and revisit the books a little bit and just have a good conversation and hang out with Dwight. Dwight was awesome to have on the show. I look forward to having him on the show in the future and of course i'm looking forward to seeing tales of dracula now we do talk about this briefly there is a premiere coming up in the local area where they produce tales of dracula and it's going to be unleashed upon the hordes at this year's monster bash unfortunately doesn't look like i'm going to monster bash so i'm not going to be able to see it but if you're going to be at monster bash keep your eyes open for it see the movie Introduce yourself to the cast and crew. Let them know you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. You know what? I want to go ahead and dive into that conversation with Dwight. So why don't we do that right after this? Hammer Film Productions began in 1934. And after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer, that 1972 black exploitation film starring Fred Williams, love that movie. Hammer! This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Better not be the 2003 flick starring Adam Goldberg, you know, the Hebrew Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Interrupting my work. Your work. The work of the devil. Hands. Please, Father. Ah. You can't. No! The evil 
of Frankenstein. The evil of a man who created a monster by crude surgery and harnessed the tempestuous forces of nature to give it life. The evil of Frankenstein unleashed a monster that terrorized a whole community. Peter Cushing as the Baron, and Peter Woodthorpe as the ruthless Professor Zoltan, who fought the Baron for control of the monster. Oh, he'll understand you, all right. He just won't obey you. That's all. Duncan Lamont as the Chief of Police, Katie Wilde and Sandorells as two young people caught up in the evil of Frankenstein. involved with a movie that's coming out it's now complete i believe they've got a premiere coming and they're going to unleash it on the crowds at monster bash it's there tales of dracula how did you get involved with tales of dracula actually my ex-girlfriend i have a lot of exes in my life uh, my ex-girlfriend saw it as my paper for an audition and i went to the audition now i being the seasoned actor that I am, I decided to give myself a bit of an advantage, so I wore a T-shirt that had all the classic monsters on it, any clothes in the dark. Um, <laughs> uh, and I was, I was handed a couple of pages, and I went for two parts. I either went for Dr. Frankenstein or for Anton the Innkeeper. And I won the role of Anton the Innkeeper because I was basically told to play it like the actor in Dracula, who basically the oh we brought all the to the castle so that's basically how I played it and I won the part but yeah I just uh, went to the uh, hotel conference room where they were doing the thing I did the thing I forgot about it after a while because they didn't contact me right away I think it was like five or six months after I did it and then they said that I'd won the part suddenly I was on the innkeeper for Tales of Dracula. How long did you shoot for? How long were you involved with the production? Oh, God, it seemed like forever. <laughs> I think we had, we shot my scenes over three or four weekends. Okay. Something like that. It was, I think it might have been three weekends. It was a weird time to do it. It was taking place at a, uh, a national park here in Broom County, and we were using, I guess, what used to be a restaurant, which was being gutted, but it had all these wonderful stone walls and things like that, so 
we could build our set inside and do our thing, but whatever we did, we better do it then because after we left, they were going to finish their renovations and it was going to look completely different. (laughs) So that was fun. So you got involved as an actor, but when I had Joe DeMuro on the show a little bit ago, it made they made it sound like that you kind of helped a little bit with the script. Uh, more than a little bit. Okay. Okay, well, here's the thing. When they originally handed me the script, it wasn't really a script as much as an outline for a movie with some splashes of dialogue here and there, and it wasn't done in script format. Okay. And sometimes the dialogue would be in script format, and sometimes it would be done in prose-style format. And apart from the featured monsters in my character, nobody had names. So my daughter was Innkeeper's daughter. And I actually have Final Draft on my computer, and I was saying to Joe, Joe, would you like me to put this into a regular screenplay format? You know how to do that? Yes. I started to do that, and then as I was doing it, I was fleshing out scenes, and I was adding dialogue. I would include things like in the scene where the vampire hunters are confronting Dracula in his uh, crypt. I had him say, I see you have uh, come freely, but I fear you will not go safely, which I wanted to do because that harked back to the Bram Stoker novel, Come Freely, Go Safely, and leave something of the happiness you bring. Well, and I uh, did things like that. I gave people names. Uh, originally, the werewolf's real name was Forey, oh. after Forrest J. Ackerman. And I said, well, unless you're trying to do a pun here, I don't know if you want a werewolf with the name Forey, because it sounds like furry. So that's why I made him Creighton Reed, after Creighton Cheney, which is Lon Cheney Jr.'s real first name, and Oliver Reed, who played the wolf man in, you know, the Hammer Werewolf movie and things like that. And I also, they were desperately trying to find a Peter Cushing type to play Dr. Frankenstein, who was supposed to be the son of Peter von Frankenstein from the time they were trying to get Donnie Dunnigan to do the scene. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't find anyone. And I said, you know, Dr. Frankenstein doesn't have to be a man and it doesn't have to be an old person. So I created, originally, her name was Fanny Frankenstein. And the reason that I chose that name was to hark back to Son of Frankenstein because, according to the movie, Peter's aunt is a boar named Aunt Fanny. You mean like Aunt Fanny? No, dear, not like Aunt Fanny. A wild boar. Yeah, so I wanted to hark back to that, but he thought that Fanny Frankenstein was too silly a name, so I chose the more obvious Victoria Frankenstein, and the rest, as you see, is this. Now, the funny part about it is, when I wrote Victoria Frankenstein, I made her so she had a brother-sister relationship with the monster. He's the brother who's constantly getting into trouble, and she's the one who constantly has to fix things, and she gets upset with him and rather annoyed. Mm-hmm. And they have sort of a snippy kind of a relationship. And at one point, one of the people behind the scenes said, boy, Dr. Frankenstein sure is ballsy. And I said, well, she's strong. She's a strong woman. And there were other little things like a farmer's daughter, who eventually becomes one of Dracula's brides. In the original outline, she falls asleep in the woods and then wakes up after 
the sun has gone down, and I thought that she's already been warned to go to the tavern before nightfall, and everybody's concerned about the monsters and things that are living around here. I don't really think that she would take a nap, so I changed it to when she comes upon a dead body, and then she tries to run for help, and then she trips and hits her head in a rock and is unconscious for several hours. So there were things like that, and I also punched up the comedy uh, between me and my my daughter and so forth. And from what I understand, uh, when they've shown those scenes, I'm sort of kind of pretty popular. So <laughs> <laughs> Were these changes to the screenplay uh, welcome additions? What, what was that relationship like? with Joe and company when you presented the new welcome. Usually for practical reasons, things had to change because there was supposed to be a scene soon as it involved a coach, you know, not a coach, a wagon, a, a horse-drawn wagon okay. that Victoria Frankenstein was bringing the monster in in a, in a crate. And they could never coordinate with the farm that had the horse-drawn wagon to actually use it. So those scenes that I wrote had to have been dropped. So, you know, there were there were little technicalities. Like one of the things that I did was I had the monster communicate with Victoria using sign language, much like Coco the Gorilla. Oh, wow. Okay. And unfortunately, when Joe had his head and hands bandaged, he did not bandage his fingers individually like Elsa Lanchester and the Bride of Frankenstein, oh. but had these two myths. So that kind of got lost in translation. And there was a scene that I actually wrote that uh, involved my character seeing the monster in the storage room where he keeps uh, the other barrels of beer. And I was supposed to do it with this, this great backward feigning pratfall, which I'm capable of doing, and I've done in TV commercials. And they never got around to filming it. And by the time that they could have filmed it, I had already lost weight. I had gone from, what was it, 198 pounds down to 176, so I didn't look anything like myself. And uh, they were having trouble with the monster makeup, too, because the molds were cracking. So they never got around to shooting it. So I understand that they inserted a different scene in there so that you, you've got my going to the place and you've got my reaction to seeing the monster and something else is happening between that just to break things up. So uh, a lot of those are the kind of practical things that happen on a thing like this. And not only did I write the thing, but I also provided the Frankenstein laboratory glassware and some of the sparky things. Also, when you see the cobwebs, I'm the cobweb hanger. So, <laughs> I hung those cobwebs the night before a powerlifting meet, and it was pouring rain, and there was like an inch of water on the floor, and I was thinking, I hope I don't get sick doing this. Because yeah. <laughs> I've got to lift tomorrow. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. But yeah, they have real 19th century glassware in this film. One scene uh, where they're examining... The farm girl is actually on my morgue stretcher. She's laying out on my morgue stretcher, but then they covered it with a sheet so you can't even see it's a real <laughs> morgue stretcher. So that's kind of a pity. But what you going to do? So, yeah, the, just the practicality of shooting this thing, some things that were in the script didn't make it into the actual film. That sounds like kind of a guerrilla production where you know, you've got the actor who 
made some changes to the screenplay, who's out there you know, hanging cobwebs, that sort of thing. So I mean, it sounds like a low-budget affair, but it also sounds like kind of a family affair, a sense of everybody's on the same team to make this low-budget film work. Have you seen the finished project? Not yet, no. I'm okay. going to be seeing it. They're going to be premiering it at the Robertson Museum and Science Center April 24th. So we're having a 4 o'clock showing for the cast and crew so that we can see what we look like in this film. Then the main actors are supposed to hang out afterwards because they're going to have the 5 o'clock red carpet premiere, and then after that, there's going to be a meet and greet where all the lucky people around here get to meet us in person. So, Wow, they're doing it up. Yeah, in fact, I'm not joking. Uh, Joe said he actually bought a red carpet for the red carpet affair. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> that's just an expression. You don't really need a red carpet. <laughs> But we have one. We have a red carpet. So we're having an actual red carpet affair. Now, is it red or is it supposed to be gray? Because that was, no, I'm just, to, to call back. No, it's, it's a red carpet. It's, it's, because <laughs> it, it's, it's supposed to be like a hammer film in a, in a universal film. So that's, that's the hammer part. We get the red carpet, not the gray one. There you go. There you go. Yeah, there are a lot of touches of, of hammer influence just hearing about the production, looking at the IMDb and the names of the different characters. And you mentioned Creighton Reed, you know, pulling Reed from Curse of the Werewolf from Hammer. When I spoke to Joe, when I first found out about this movie, I thought it was going to be just a, an homage of Universal. But there's a lot of hammer influence here, too, which, you know, I respond to as well because I'm a big fan of hammer. He and I are sort of simpatico on these things. And I think one of the reasons that he had me doing it was that he could mention any line from any Hammer or Universal film and I could finish it. So, <laughs> which I hark back to the fact that I used to record these things on audio tape. So oh, there I've you got go. Most of, I've got most of them memorized. Anything they don't understand. Anything that doesn't control to their stupid little patterns they want to destroy. They try to destroy it. That's, that's a line from Evil of Frankenstein, one of my favorite films. <laughs> and I'm going on record. I like Evil of Frankenstein. I saw it in the movie theater when it first came out. I still like it. <laughs> wow. Okay. That, that's uh, not one that I hear a lot of people talk about because of the makeup. And <laughs> so the, the box I love top. that makeup. Let yeah? me tell you something. When I was a kid, to me, Frankenstein's monster had a flat head, big boots, and it walked stiffly. And gosh darn it, Kiwi Kingston had those things, so I was really happy with that movie. Uh, my mom took me to see that, and, you know, the audience actually cheered when the monster was bashing the uh, Booker Master's head against the wall. Wow. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> oh, gosh, I love that movie. That's such a great fun time. <laughs> That's the one that uh, Universal gave him the okay to do the box top makeup on, isn't yeah. it? Yes, it is. It's now, I've studied that makeup since then. And, you know, there are things about it that I find interesting because it appears as though the monster's head has been divided in such a way that you could remove the front of it to put the brain in, which actually makes a lot more sense because then you can insert the eyes and do the other things, which... Um, I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but in the first one, Curse of Frankenstein with uh, Cushing and Christopher Lee, he's about to do the brain operation. The monster's in this big tank. He's standing on a stepladder. He takes the thing that's supposed to open the, the monster's head. The monster's laying in water, 
and you have to bend down, and I'm just thinking to myself, how in the world are you going to do this delicate operation from this very awkward angle? <laughs> but somehow, I guess he managed to do it. But yeah, no, I loved, I loved uh, Evil of Frankenstein. My absolute, one of my favorites. I have it on DVD. I watch it all the time. I'm kind of ticked off I didn't do a Blu-ray release like I did in Britain. So, what are you going to do? I love that film. It's got everything that Universal has. It's got a Kenneth Strickfadden-like set. Mm-hmm. It's got the angry villagers. It's got the explosion at the end. It's, it's got everything. If you love Universal and Hammer, that, that's the great future. It is the most universal of the, the Hammer Frankensteins. I definitely could see that, that it does bring everything over. It might not have, like, the hunchback character, but this has got the mute, doesn't it? It's got the mute woman. Yes, the mute woman. Now, so. strangely enough, in the, in the TV version of this, you actually get her backstory. I was going to ask you if you've seen that. Oh, yeah. No, I, I've seen both. I was at NBC's Thursday Night at the Movies were the first ones to show that, and they showed it. On one of my favorite, on one of my favorite horror host shows, uh, Dr. Paul Bear, because I lived in Florida, with his horrible old movies, <laughs> uh, on WTOG, as far as the eye can see. <laughs> Um, I want a pair of roller skates from him. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, for, for drawing a classic portrait of Frankenstein. But yeah, he used to show that version all the time. So her name was Raina, and she was frightened into muteness by seeing the monster the first time, so which actually made it more understandable why she would be attracted to the monster now. She sort of made her peace with it. So it, it did a lot to expand that story. It's too bad in the DVD they show the theatrical version only. I don't think it turns up on the Blu-ray either over in the UK. I don't think it turns up there. I had to see it on YouTube. So ah. So anyway, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, doing uh, Tales of Dracula. In fact, my, my ex-wife is in there too. She's, uh, she's one of the villagers in my inn. And she looks up when, the, when you hear the werewolf howling or whatever sound effect they're going to put in. She was also a corpse in one scene, but I don't know if uh, Joe said that they had to trim some of her stuff. And I said, well, that's okay, because Kathy wouldn't mind if you cut her out completely. Because <laughs> at the time she said, I'm not an actor. All I can do is just sit and look at things. That's it. <laughs> so that's what they had her do. <laughs> when I had Joe on the show, they made it sound like there might be the possibility of another one, a follow-up, another tale of Dracula. Would you go back to Anton and go back to that world and make another movie with him? For money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things about all the things that I do, a lot of the times people expect me to do all these wonderful things for no money. And since my mother's death, my household expenses had uh, the money that goes to my household expenses decreased by $1,500. So I'm constantly scrambling around to make sure I can make rent and electricity and all of this other stuff. You know, I love doing the craft. I don't have a problem with that. But every once in a while, please pay me. I need money. So, yeah, they're, they're talking about doing another one, and they're also talking about paying the actor. And I said, thank God. <laughs> so... Um, you know, of course, they'd have to pay me a lot of money if they expect me to gain that weight back because it took me too long to lose it. So, pad me. Just put some padding on me. You've, you've got this wonderful makeup artist, so have him put some gels on me. <laughs> 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 of 
I like a godfather and put cotton in my cheeks. There you go. But I love being a character actor. I'm actually a second-generation character actor. My, the original character actor in my family is Charles Kemper, who uh, did a lot of westerns. And he was also a, a one, one or two-reel comedy actor. And I had one of his two-reel comedies that I got from God, this old video source. And if you look him up, we do look a lot alike. I also have writing in my family because I learned from the Judah L. Magnus Museum in Berkeley, California, that I am related to Gertrude Stein. So I ended up on stage and I ended up writing. I could quote Truman Capote about what he said about my great-great-great-aunt's uh, writing, but I don't know what your language is on the show, <laughs> what you can broadcast and what you've got. Because <laughs> she wrote things like, a rose is a rose is a rose. And uh, doing the, the non-swearing part of it says, well, at least she knows how to fill up a page. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, speaking of filling up pages, are there any chances you're going to go back to writing another book? I don't know. It's like I say, it has to do with being paid. Mm-hmm. It takes me usually two years. Now, the third book, I was writing while I was writing the other two books. So that one actually took six years to write. And I've made enough money on the third book to get an entree and a drink at Red Lobster. The one that paid me the most so far is the first one, Who Framed Boris Karloff. And I recently got a royalty check for like 30 bucks, which was both of them put together. Mm. So I've toyed with the idea. I already have the story outlined and researched and ready to go. But... I'm just not sure if it's worth my time to sit and write these things and then get these little drizzies and drowsies and, you know, and such. Plus, now I'm an assistant editor at a newspaper, and I have a column or two in that. I have a video detective because I also uh, do movie reviews for Phantom of the Movies video scope. And uh, I do movie reviews for the newspaper. And I also have this wonderful column called Tales from the Spam, which uh, I write like I'm the Crypt Keeper uh, from Tales from the Crypt. Only I take the ridiculous spam stuff, all the things that uh, people try to fool you with, uh, to you know, Nigerian princes and all of that. Right. And, I, and I highlight them in this thing and... This is, well, boys and girls, it looks like it's another Tales from the Spam. Today we have a story about a Nigerian prince who hopes that he can get some money out of you. It's a tale we like to call, Can I Trust You? So, things like that. Plus, it's a small-time newspaper, and we have a very old audience, and I'm not entirely sure if they entirely get my sense of humor, but I don't really care. (laughs) So, so yeah, I do keep my hand in writing doing that. But I do have a fourth book in me. It's just whether or not people are willing to buy enough of them to make it worth my while. So maybe people should say, I will pay an advance order for that book if you will buy it. If you will write it. (laughs) I would. You know, for what it's worth, I would. I'm sure you would. Um, <laughs> but, you know, most of kids are dying off every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, 
I'm going to go ahead and let you go. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you being on Monster Kid Radio and sharing uh, your passions with us. And let's have you back on the show down the line, maybe talk about a specific movie or something like that in the future. Sure, I would love to do so, because I have a lot of various and sundry opinions about different movies and things <laughs> and stuff and stuff and things. Well, we'll definitely have you back for some things and maybe a little bit of stuff. You can find Dwight at Facebook.com slash Dwight.Kemper. You can look him up online and find him at places like MurderMysteryTheater.com. He's all over the place, and I hope it goes without saying, and I hope I said it enough. Dwight, thank you for being on Monster Kid Radio. Tales of Dracula also has a Facebook presence. Go to Facebook.com slash Tales of Dracula. You can also look up Wolf Bane Productions, and that's Wolf and then Bane, B-A-I-N, and productions on Facebook as well. And you know what? We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes over at our website at monsterkidradio.net. Now, this is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. There are links to every song that's appeared here on the show in the past. There are links to Amazon where you can pick up books and movies that we talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. And by buying it through that link, through Amazon, we get like a penny or two. Another way you can support Monster Kid Radio is our Patreon page. We have just finished the revamp of the Patreon page, patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. If you're not following the link from the website, the reward levels have been streamlined and made a lot more cool. And the milestones... These are things that we're going to do if we had certain monthly pledge levels. I'm talking about things like Monster Kid Radio commentary tracks for classic monster movies, or maybe a not-so-classic one. Commissioning original artwork from various artists out there, getting some monster art for the show, and maybe even producing an audio drama, if we can hit that milestone. We've currently hit the first milestone already, and I want to thank everybody who's been involved with that. Starting next month, we're going to do the special thanks roll call here on the show for those of you who have hit that reward level. Also on our website are links to our Facebook group and our contact information is up there. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you have comments about this episode or any other episode you've heard on the show in the past, feel free to call it in and we'll talk about it here on an upcoming episode of the podcast. I want to give you a heads up that later this month, we are going to see the release of the first issue of the monthly email newsletter. This is also new and improved and revamped. It's called the Monster Rally Checkpoint. It's going to be released at the end of every month, something in your email to get some more Monster Kid flavored goodness once a month. Now, if you are a supporter of our Patreon page at a certain level, you'll get it actually earlier than everybody else. That's coming up. And pay attention to the website because this weekend I'm going to have a sign up form so that you can sign up to get this email once a month from us here at Monster Kid Radio and Monster Rally Media. Next week, I think I'll bring you some recordings from the Monster Kid Radio crashes that we've done in March. We crashed Horrors of Spider Island and then also Island of the Doomed. I brought the recorder. I introduced one of the movies and we chatted with people at the theater. So we're going to be doing that next week on Monster Kid Radio. After that, well, I've got some feelers out. I have some old friends who have been on the show in the past. It's about time to get them back on the show and talk about some of their favorite monster movies. So that'll be happening here soon. Stay tuned to monsterkidradio.net, iTunes, Stitcher, or however you listen to podcasts. 
It's coming. In the meantime, remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, the song War of the Cellulites, that doesn't belong to Monster Kid Radio. That belongs to the band King Charles's Head. You can find them at kingcharlesshead.bandcamp.com. This is on their album, What Sounds. It appears on this episode of the podcast with their permission, so big thanks to them. Go check them out. Tell them that you heard them on Monster Kid Radio, and you can hear us next week. <laughs>